You're listening to the Promised Church's Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Pastor Aaron. For more information about who we are, please visit us at thepromisechurch.com. All right, how many people are ready to hear the word of the Lord this morning? All right, grab your Bibles. 1 Kings chapter 17, it's going to be up on the screens. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 7, it says this, Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. This is God speaking to Elijah. So he went to Zarephath, and when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, uh, there's drama in scripture. If you didn't know, this is like Hollywood at its best. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the lamb. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of oil was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Today, I came here today, today, I came here someday, today, this day, today to tell you that your energy, your time, and your resources are to be used as a gift to the Lord, that they are to be given with no strings attached, that we are actually uh, here to give and not to get, that as believers, we need to have swag. Everybody say swag. Let's go. Now, I spell swag differently than you do. I spell swag S-W-A-A-G-G. Swag. Come on, Johnny. I need the Johnny accent on that one. S-W-A-A-G-G. And it stands for this. Steward well, accumulate aggressively, and give generously. Steward well, accumulate aggressively, and give generously. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Father, we thank you that your presence is enough. Father, I thank you for all the times that you've been so faithful. Lord, all the times that you've shown up, every time that we've gathered, you've been here, Lord, and today is no different than those other times. Your presence is here. God, we ask that you speak to us this morning. Come on, ask him, church. Say, God, speak to me today. Lord, I pray that you speak to us, that you transform us, you renew our minds. Lord, we give you the room. Say whatever you want to say. Do whatever you want to do. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. God is looking for a church that is completely surrendered to him. Every single area of our lives surrendered to the Lord. I said it earlier when I opened this morning. uh, If he is not Lord of all, then he is not your Lord. He must be Lord of everything or he is not Lord. Oftentimes Christians do a great job of giving him lordship of certain areas of our lives, but the uncomfortable ones we shy away from. But I believe that the Lord is not asking to just be a participant in your life on a Sunday morning, but he wants to be Lord of your life in every area at all times. 
And oftentimes in church, we can shy away from talking about certain topics because they feel uncomfortable. And, uh, but in this church, we run towards the uncomfortable. We are not intimidated by what may or may not feel uncomfortable. We want to say what the Word of God says and equip you to succeed in every area of your life. And there are generally two areas of conversation that will make any Pentecostal run uh, very quick. And it's when we talk about sex or when we talk about money. We're not talking about the one you wish we were talking about this morning. We are talking about money. We're going to talk about money this morning. And in Scripture, you may not know this, but there are 500 passages of Scripture on faith. 500. There are 500 passages of Scripture on prayer. But there are over 2,000 scriptures on money and possessions. 2,000. 500 on prayer, 500 on faith, 2,000 on money and possessions. I think that God is trying to teach us something. But why is God speaking about money so frequently in scriptures? Because he needs your money. No, God does not need your money. As Jeffrey said during offering, the Bible says that where you're treasure is there your heart will be also and God knows that oftentimes to get to your heart which is what he cares about he has to get through your possessions he has to get through your stuff all your dreams and needs and wants all your wishes and hopes for your vacations your money your savings accounts your mortgage your house your car everything he has to wade through it to get to your heart and for myself I I personally did not grow up wanting to be a pastor when I thought of being a pastor, I just thought of drama. Ain't, ain't nobody got time for drama. I didn't want to do it, but I love the presence of the Lord, and when he speaks, I listen. And I always wanted to be in business. In fact, when I was about 10 years old, my oldest son's age, uh, my dad started buying me uh, real estate and investments and finance books. And uh, anybody read Rich Kid, Smart Kid out there? And uh, I began just to read books about finances and real estate and investing and um, uh, about 17, started a business, became a realtor and mortgage, early 20s, started working as an investment advisor and uh, really felt the call of God on my life to work heavily in finances. A couple years ago, I bought an investment firm that I've been working at for about a decade and now I work with people basically every day who um, have lots and lots of money and I help manage their resources for them. And most of the people that I work with have millions and millions of dollars. Many of them make millions and millions of dollars a year. And what I can tell you is this, is that more money ain't solving no one's problems. Come on, say it with me. More money ain't solving my problems. More money will not fix you. If you got problems without money, you will have problems with money. You'll have even more problems with money. They will find you and be magnified. If you struggle with control and manipulation without money, guess what? When you get more of it, you'll struggle with it as well. If you struggle with fear and doubt and shame and a poverty mentality without money, you'll struggle with it when you have money. doesn't matter whether you have a little or a lot. Your money problems will follow you all the days of your life until you fix them. And I believe that the Bible gives clear instructions of how we are to use our finances. It teaches us how to uh, have debt. It teaches us how to budget. It teaches us how to invest. It teaches us how to give and live a lifestyle of generosity. The problem is, is that we live in a culture that's a very Instagram-focused culture. 
Anybody know what I mean? Where somebody gets a new car and I feel like I need to get a new car. Somebody retires at age 60, I feel like I need to retire at age 60. Somebody gets a new house, I need a bigger and better house. I don't want to tell, and what we do is we, we whether we're in church or whether we're out in public, we just mask ourselves up. So if somebody looks at our life from a distance through our Instagram page or our Facebook page, they think, wow, your life is awesome. But the moment they lift up the hood, they realize your life is a wreck. And we got so many Christians walking around with masks on their face. It's like Halloween every Sunday trying to make people think, I got my life and my stuff all together. No, you got a lot of problems. And we need to have a church where we're okay with being vulnerable and transparent about things specifically like finances. And we're okay with asking for help. We got a lot of Christians trying to just stand strong. I'm fine. I'll make it through. No, you need help. You don't need to have this macho stigma. I work with so many men all the time that have this macho stigma. It's like, I'm fine, I'll figure it out. No, you need help. And today, I, I want to provide some biblical, scriptural help for you. Anybody here ever been in a church service where somebody talks about money and it sounds very manipulative and leveraging? I'll just raise your hand if you've ever been in a church service like that before. Well, on behalf of every pastor who's ever been there, I just want to apologize and say we were wrong. I want to apologize to you. Because so often you've been sold a very bad bill of goods that tries to manipulate you to think, well, if you just give a little bit of money, God will bless you. No, you give because we want to be generous like him. I don't give to get. I get to give with no strings attached. And today, there will be no manipulation and no leveraging. Today, I'm going to tell you the truth that's in Scripture. I'm going to tell you what is I've seen evident in my life and in lives around me. I'm going to show you principles of heaven that non-Christians use more than the church. Because it works. It's truth and it's a principle that God honors every single time. In Matthew chapter 16, it says, if whoever wants to be my disciple, this is Jesus speaking, must deny themselves. Come on, this is one of our favorite scriptures here at the church. Take up their cross and follow me. If you want to be a disciple, you must kill the flesh. This morning, just close your eyes, everybody in the room. Say, I'm going to kill my flesh today. Just say it, say it out loud, I'm gonna kill my flesh today. Because when, a talk, when we talk about money, it's one of the most sensitive things that people talk about. You'll talk about lack of intimacy in a marriage, you'll talk about um, wishes and dreams when it comes about money, it's like, don't, don't talk to me about my money. That's personal. Today, we're killing our flesh, we're denying ourselves, and we're gonna to listen to what the Lord has to say. If whoever wants to save their life, will lose it. When you try to preserve your reputation, you will lose your life. Your dignity, when you try to preserve your dignity, you will lose your intimacy with Jesus. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. There is a battlefield on your finances, and too often Christians die on that battlefield all the time. You die through bad financial decisions. You die through fear and condemnation, mistakes you've made in the past. There's many, even in this room, who you have had... Poverty curses spoken over your family. Generation after generation, you found yourself in poverty and you've struggled to get out of it. And you, Every year you're living in the red. And if you don't know what living in the red is, you might be in it. And there's a po- poverty curse on your life. And you wish you could get out of it, but you just can't seem to find a way. Your grandfather was in poverty. Your father was in poverty. And you're in poverty, working dead-end job after dead-end job, and you can't seem to figure out, why can't I get ahead? I believe that there is a real thing called a generational poverty curse on families, and today we're going to pray that that gets broken over anybody in this room and anybody watching that has that on their life. Money is not evil. 
Money is not evil. And people will be like, yeah, but I thought money was the root of all evil. No, the love of money is the root of evil. But money by itself is neutral. It is neither good nor is it bad. Money is neutral. It can be used for good things and it can be used for bad things. But money by itself is very neutral. And God wants to bless you. If there's anything I say today that you should say an amen, it should be that one. God wants to bless you. Thank you. Start talking about money and everybody gets quiet in the church. God wants to bless you. Y'all got scared. You're like, is that a trick question? He wants to bless you. Why? So that you can be a blessing. It's not so you can have awesome things and a better house and a better, a better car and send your kids to a better college. He wants to bless you so you can be a blessing. That's why you were created, so you could advance the kingdom of God, so you could be a witness to the world, so you could be a light. Guess what? It includes your finances. He wants to bless you. In Genesis chapter 12, God is talking to Abraham. Verse 2, and it says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. Notice the idea of blessing a person is God's idea. And make your name great. And here's the reason why. And you shall be a blessing. You shall be a blessing. Now, this idea may be foreign to you because you've been in a church culture that, that insinuates the idea that if you suffer and you're in poverty, you're winning for the gospel. And this poverty mentality that gets preached in churches and pastors who begin to communicate about money and try to come up with reasons because generally they're bad stewards of their money. And so they try to come up with excuses of why the church will suffer in finances. But the truth of the matter is that God wants to bless you and make you prosperous. Now, the other lie is the prosperity gospel where somebody sits on a TV screen and says, if you give $1,000, your needs will be met. And if you give $10,000, God will give you a new car. And Oprah's up there in heaven sitting on the gold throne saying, a car for you and a car for you and a car for you. And that has destroyed so many people when it comes about finances in church. God desires to bless you. And that poverty perspective that says, I'm just going to be in lack my entire life. I'm never going to have enough. That is a lie. That is a lie. And we're going to break that lie today. Today, most of you have probably mainly heard tithing in relationship to finances. If you've been in church longer than five minutes, heard any message on money, it's generally revolving tithing. Here at the Promise Church, we talk about tithing and offering every Sunday for a reason. Most churches in America don't do a live offering message anymore. We do because I value you learning about money. And I believe one of the main reasons why our church is one of the most generous churches that I've ever heard of and I've met many pastors. One of the reasons why our church is one of the most generous churches, I believe, is because we take time to teach on money and finances. But the main theme in scripture on finances is not tithing. Tithing is not the primary message in scripture around money. It is ownership. Ownership is what God focuses on when it comes to money. Now tithing is 10%. But the main theme of scripture is ownership. When you got saved, I want you to think about this for a moment. Remember when you were a rich, wretched, filthy sinner? Anybody remember back? Now, I know you guys are all perfect. You were born perfect. But anybody like me remember when we were wretched, filthy sinner, right, when we deserved hell? And then God came and he scooped us up in our mess and he said, hey, guess what? 
I got salvation for you and I got a new life. All you got to do is just give me 10% of your life. Just 10. Just the worst parts, but all the great stuff you can keep for yourself. Do you guys remember that conversation with the Lord? No, it didn't happen. Because he said this, if you want to follow me, you must give all of yourself. Every area of your life, every room, every dirty corner, every skeleton in the closet. If you want me to be Lord of your life, you must surrender everything to me. Equally, when he comes to you in your finances, he does not say, just give me 10%. I know it's a lot. I know. I thought about 20, but I was like, no, they can't handle that. So just 10. He doesn't say that. God does not want 10% of your money. God wants 100% of your money. He wants every nickel, penny, dime you got. Praise the Lord. He wants all of it. It's really quiet today, quieter than normal. I realize we're talking about that topic. He wants 100% of your money. It is all his. The problem is the church is given this impression that he only wants 10, and that's a lie. He wants all of your life. He wants all of your marriage. He wants all of your children. He wants all of your dreams. He wants all of your fears. He wants all of your hopes. He wants every decision. He wants every thought. He wants everything to be submitted underneath his lordship, everything. In Psalms 24, it says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all of its people belong to him. Everything I own is the Lord's. It's all his. God is not looking for 10% of your money. Let's be very clear about this. It all belongs to him. All of it. Your life is the Lord's. And one of the ways that God begins to speak to you is through your finances. I can remember the first time beginning to hear the voice of God revolved around my money. I was about 16 years old and the Lord came to me and he began to speak to me. And he said, Aaron, I want you to take all of your favorite clothes and I want you to give them away. And I first rebuked the Lord. And then I realized I can't do that. So I said, yes, Lord. And I went and gave away all my clothes, my favorite clothes, to a friend and uh, magically, there was no new clothes in my closet after that. Two years later, around 17, 18, I, w- I was driving a beautiful blue Pontiac Grand Prix. Come on, somebody. Moonroof, CD player, working AC units. It was amazing. And tinted windows. I mean, I was balling. And the Lord comes to me and says, Aaron, I want you to give your car away. And I'm like, okay, God. And I'm like, God, I know if I give this away, you're going to give me something better. Like I knew it. So I went and I gave my car away. I went to bed that night. And I'm not exaggerating. I believed with all of my heart I was going to wake up the next morning. There was going to be legit a Hummer with a boat attached to it in my driveway. With a note on it said, well done, good and faithful servant. Here is your upgrade. There was no boat and there was no Hummer. In fact, two months later with no car, I started driving my parents' minivan. I was a soccer dad at the age of 18. I downgraded. But see, I learned something valuable. I learned that I don't give to get. And the Lord had to get that out of me. I begin to realize that it is an honor for me to give anything that the Lord asks. And when he asks for clothes, what would you have, Lord? When he wants my car, I'll gladly give my car. And I'm not giving with strings attached. God, whether you bless me or not, when you ask, I will say yes. 
That is my priority. When he asks, my answer is yes. One of the best ways that the Lord tests us in this is with our tithe. Mm-hmm, there were, thank you. Thank you. Every time you get paid, you take a test. Whether that you will trust that you and God with 90 can do more than you on your own with 100. Tithing is 10. The number 10 in scripture actually represents a test. Numbers mean things in scripture. Tithe is not nine. It is also not five, nor is it 12. Tithing is 10. If you don't know how to calculate it, get a calculator. It is 10%. And in scripture, in Malachi, many of us know this passage of scripture. It says that when you tithe, the Lord will rebuke the devourer for you. He will actually be a rebuff towards darkness on your behalf. When you tithe, it opens up the windows of heaven and blessing comes upon you. In fact, unbelievers, I read a lot of non-Christian success books. My pastor reads non-Christian books. I read non-Christian success books because oftentimes they're written with a better perspective because they're not coming from hurt or pain. They're finding principles that work. And most uh, secular success books will tell you, you should give 10% to charity because it's a principle from heaven that works every time. It works every time. In fact, in Malachi chapter 3, it also says that if you don't tithe, you are stealing from God. Now, Jeffrey, you have your phone on you? Give me your phone. Let's say I took Jeffrey's phone. I stole Jeffrey's phone. And I'm going to keep it. Now, if Jeffrey comes to get his phone back, is he stealing it from me? Why? Because it belongs to him. So he comes and gets his phone back because it belongs to him. But, but for me to take the phone from Jeffrey, I'm now stealing it from him. So if the Lord's tithe is Jeffrey's phone, and I take Jeffrey's phone, the Lord's tithe, I'm stealing from the Lord. Why? Because it's his. You follow? I can't steal what belongs to me. I can only steal what belongs to somebody else. This is why scripture says, uses the word return the tithe. Return it. Because it was once his, he gave it to me as income, and now I must return it back to him. When you take your tithe and keep it in your account, you are actually robbing from God. You are, now there's, there's few people I'd like to steal from, but that is the worst one I'd like to steal from. You are stealing from the Lord. When you take your tithe. Now, I understand that some of you in this room, you might be like, well, you don't understand that one uh, business that sold and that one property that sold and then that, you know, that, you know, and we try to justify any increase, period. Now, I do not make my income from this church, so I can't sound manipulative because whether you tithe or don't, it doesn't benefit my life. But I can tell you this, if you do not tithe, you are stealing from the Lord. And I would be doing you a disservice if I tried to come up with some excuse and some reason how you could justify it. For most of you, it's just a matter of fear and a lack of obedience. But I'm telling you today, if you will honor God in this principle, he will open up the windows of heaven over your life and rebuke to the devourer. When we first started pastoring here in 2014, we've told this story a number of times, 
Like our church was suffering financially. Uh, it, costed, it cost about 20 grand just to keep the lights on and the mortgage and utilities and everything in this place. And we weren't even bringing that in on a monthly basis. Um, so that we, took, we started pastoring in May of 2014. By about January of 2015, the bank came to us and said, if your income doesn't improve, we're going to take the, the building back because we fell out of covenants uh, in, our, in our loan. Our debt to income was so bad. And so we gathered together as, a, as an eldership team and senior leaders, and we begin to pray. And something, I remember something rising up in my heart where I'm like, man, if we're going out, we're going to go out and kick the devil in the face. Like, we're, we're going out swinging. We begin to pray, and the Lord began to speak to us. It's like, we're going to tithe on every dollar that comes in. We weren't, now we were tithing as individuals, but our church was not tithing and had never tithed. And we were like, no, we're, even when we don't have enough, even when we're going backwards, we're going to tithe and we're going to trust that the Lord's going to honor that. And that wasn't about January of 2015. If I could show you our finances starting in January of 2015, they skyrocketed the moment we started tithing. Now we tithe when we didn't have. We tithe literally when we were going backwards. And there's a lot of people that say, well, I can't afford to tithe. Let me tell you something. You can't afford not to. And you'll never be able to afford to tithe until you start tithing. But when you do, God honors it every single time. Is there anybody in this room who can say, I didn't think I could do, but as soon as I started tithing, God began to shift something in my life. I could, we could spend hours in this room with people giving testimony after testimony of how they didn't think they could tithe. They started tithing, and all of a sudden, God honored them. Now, you may be like, well, those are all, there's just Old Testament scriptures talking about tithing. Well, in Matthew 23, 23, Jesus says you ought to tithe. And if that was the only scripture in all of the Bible, that would be enough. If Jesus says you should tithe, you should tithe. You should tithe. And if you're wondering, is it gross or net? Great question. It doesn't say in scripture, but I can tell you this. The only time you care about gross or net is when you think about tithing. If I were to ask you how much you make, guess what you would tell me? You'd tell me gross and you'd add a few thousand so you look better. And I got a company car and a credit card and, a, you know, I got vacation time, pay time off and you give me all the benefits. Tithe on all of it if you feel like it's that important. Now for me, We're just going for it today. I'm starting a three-month sabbatical tomorrow, praise the Lord, and I'm already there. So if y'all get mad, I'm not going to hear about it. (laughs) Let's read a scripture. Leviticus 27. Praise God, it's Leviticus. It says, all the tithe of the land, whether of the sea Seed of the land or the fruit of the tree is the Lord. I love that. It gives like two options. Whether it's the sale of the business, whether it's the income from the, the, the little side business, whether it's that little thing over there, whether it's the rental, whether it's increase from the land, the tree, the seed that came from the heavens is the Lord's. And it is holy to God. The tithe is holy to the Lord. Luke 19. Luke 19, we see a passage of scripture where Jesus is telling a parable. And in that parable, he's talking about a master who gives three different servants a different value of money. You can take that out for a moment. And each servant, one is given 10, one is given five, and one is given one. And it says the master is going to leave for a long time. He's going to come back and he's going to see how the different servants did with, with the money he entrusted to them. And we know that the, the master is actually Jesus in the story. 
right? He is leaving for a long time, and eventually he's going to come back, and he's going to see how did each one of us steward the resources that God entrusted to us with. And he comes back, and the one with 10, we know, we know the story, the 10 invested it. Let me say it again. The 10 invested it. He multiplied it, and it yielded 10 more. So now he had 20. The one with five invested it and got five more. The one with one, he dug a hole in the ground, and he hid it out of fear of losing. So we pick up in verse 15, and it says, And so it was when he returned the master, having received the kingdom, he then commanded those servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know how, how every man had gained by trading. Then first came the first, saying, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. And he said, then, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a little and have authority over ten cities. Everybody say cities. And the second came, saying, Master, your mina has earned five. Likewise, he said to him, you also be over five cities. The stewardship and the multiplication of the money yielded stewardship over cities. That the faithfulness of what we do with our resources is actually equipping us and preparing us to steward over the kingdom of God. That the reward for faithfulness is to share in the king's authority. Luke 16, verse 10, it says, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much, and he who is unjust in what is least is also unjust in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, what is the unrighteous mammon? Anybody know? Money. If you are faith, not been faithful in money, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in what is another's man's, who will give you your own? Mammon equals money. And he's saying, if you are not faithful with your money, who will entrust you true riches? What are true riches? Souls. Discipling souls, cities. What are true riches? My children knowing the Lord. Health in my family. A strong marriage. And he's saying, your finances are a training ground. They are a training ground for true riches. But if you can't steward well your money today, why would he entrust you a soul? Let me give you another example. If your car is not getting the oil changed, looks like trash, hasn't been washed in three months, and is barely surviving because you're not taking care of it, why would he give you a soul to steward? If your house, if your house looks like a disaster, why would he give you a soul to steward? I know I'm stepping on some toes right now. Some of you are like, don't be talking about my house. I was busy this morning. I just had to get to church. You're welcome. I'm here. <laughs> he gives you unrighteous mammon, money, possessions to train you for true riches. My Bible says that everything I have is the Lord's and everything I do, I should do unto him. So if I'm a lazy worker at my job, if I trash my cars, if I don't take care of my house, why would he give me a person to disciple? Okay? Your finances are a training ground to teach you 
how to rule and reign with him in the kingdom of God. You must see it that way. Because if you don't, you will be frivolous and a terrible steward. Stewardship, the definition of stewardship, is to manage someone else's property. So when we talk about stewardship in, in church, which is generally what everyone, we, we have the stewardship campaign and we have the stewardship offering, we have the stewardship message and we have the stewardship uh, fundraiser and we always have all these stewardship things. Well, stewardship, the definition is to manage someone else's property. So if you want to steward your money, you must understand that it isn't yours. Stewardship means it's not mine and I'm managing somebody else's property because it belongs to him. So if you want to be a good steward, you must understand that it isn't yours to begin with. Now, I believe that the Lord wants to raise up a church that is radically generous, radically generous. But generosity is not tithing. Tithing is obedience. Tithing is obedience. Tithing is not being generous. God wants to multiply your finances. Do you want to know the equation to multiplication? Are we all going to sleep because we're talking about money right now? The equation to multiplication is this. Tithing or obedience plus generosity equals multiplication. Obedience plus generosity equals multiplication. Which means tithing is not enough. Tithing is not enough. Now, that shouldn't intimidate any of you because you realize it's not yours to begin with. We already talked about ownership. It's all his. So now I want to live a life of generosity, which is why next week we have our Kingdom Builders offering. And our Kingdom Builders offering is what we're going to be doing where anything above the tithe, we're going to be going to advance the vision that God has given this church. And we talked about it last week during Vision Sunday where we believe God has given us vision to launch a grade school here, to launch a leadership school. God's given us a vision to do a food bank and restoration houses. He's given us a vision to adopt a country like Iraq. He's given us vision to advance the gospel here through Belong and other resources. And the way to do that is through Kingdom Builders, people who give above the tithe to advance the vision of the church generosity is above the tithe but you cannot live a life of generosity if you don't steward well the 90 God doesn't just care about your 10 he cares about the 90 right because he has all of it it's all hundred his it's not just the 10 God teaches us about debt. He teaches us about budgeting. Every person should be budgeting in their life. I don't have time to go through this, but Proverbs 21 and Luke 14 talk about budgeting. If you don't have a budget, you need a budget. You need to know where your money is going. If you don't budget, I will tell you the reason why you don't budget is, is because you're lazy. That's the only reason. It's just because you're lazy. Tomorrow's sabbatical, praise God. It's just because you're lazy. You know, you know there's value. You know you should do it. You just don't do it for that reason. It's time to not be apathetic. If you need help, we will help you. We have people in our church who have no problem sitting down with you and working through your budget to help you figure out how to do it. You need to understand about debt. There's good debt and bad debt. Deuteronomy 15 talks about debt. And then you need to be investing. Every person here needs to be investing. Why? We just talked about the three servants. One did not and, and he was called a wicked and lazy servant because he did not multiply what the Lord entrusted to him. Ecclesiastes 11 talks about multiple streams of income. 
Proverbs 11 says this, verse 24, one person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. The Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. I can tell you this, that when you give, you will be given to. Not always in the form of money, but the Lord will give you the true riches of life. Now we read this passage of scripture at the beginning where this widow, you're like, when are we getting to the main passage of scripture? I know you've been anticipating this moment this whole time. And Elijah says to her, he says, I want you to make me some bread. Now, I'm not a baker, but my, my family, we just bought a bread machine, and uh, we've been making bread almost daily at times, and we'll eat a whole loaf of bread, and it's incredible. French toast with homemade bread, there's nothing like it. I've personally not made the bread yet, but I do understand the basic ingredients, if you have flour and a little olive oil, you can make some bread. I just needed validation that that was right. So let's read this for a moment. Yeah, there's a few other things, thank you. They're not important. Leave it alone. My wife knows the rest. All right? Stop. First Kings 17, let's read this again. As she was going... To get the water, he called her and he said, bring me a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. She possessed the ingredients to make the bread. Yet she said, I got no bread. Because she only had the ingredients of it. She didn't actually have the bread yet. And I would propose to you that when I talk about a life of generosity, most of you would respond, I don't have any money to give. And I would say, is there anything in your bank account? Do you, do you have cash? Then you have the ingredients to be generous. And she's like, but you don't understand. If I make this, I'm just going to die. This is the last this is the last ounce of food I have because I'm in a famine right now and I'm going to eat it and then I'm going to die. And Elijah says, great, can you feed me first? And you're all like, that sounds like manipulation. Okay? You have to get the fear and the hurt out of your head for a moment, out of your heart, and realize that this is how the Lord works. The Lord comes to you and he says, if you'll allow your simple ingredients to be the seed of generosity I will help it to grow to flourish into something you can never do on your own for most of you you have small seed basic seed doesn't seem like it's very much reminds me of the little boy who had five loaves and two little fishies Jewish happy meal and he brought it to the Lord <laughs> oh and he brought it to the Lord. 5,000 men, probably 15,000 total people. Sound like anybody's bills in this place? And Jesus said, hey, anybody got some food? And the boy's like, I, got, I just got like five bucks. He's like, I just got five bucks. It's not going to do much. I know we got a kingdom builder's offering, but it's just, it's just five bucks. I can barely make ends meet as it is. And in fact, if I give this, 
I don't know. And he gives it to the Lord. In the boy's hand, it was just five loaves and two fish. But when he gave it to the Lord, the Lord multiplied it. Many times we wait for the seed to multiply before we give. It doesn't work that way. The seed works in his hand, not yours. And so when you withhold out of fear, it can't grow. There is the, there is the belief that says, I'll, I'll, I'll do all those things for the Lord the moment he, he tells me it's all going to work out. I'll give the moment he tells me he'll provide. I'll step out of the boat the moment I know I can walk on water. But that's not how the kingdom of God works. He's looking for people who will say, God, I'll give without any strings attached. Because I want to live a life of radical generosity. Now, I want to be clear that generosity is not dollar-based. Why is that important? Because for some of you, if you gave $5,000, it would be the most generous act you could ever do. For others in this room, if you gave $5,000, it would not be generous at all. And I want to speak to those people just for a moment. That there is a lie that many of you have believed that you're living a lifestyle of generosity. Those of you in this room who have, not the have-nots, but those who have. And you feel like you give a lot because you compare yourself to others who don't. Do not play that foolish game of comparison. Generosity is generally generous when it hurts. There is generally pain involved with radical generosity. And if you're in this room and you're like, and you have a lot of money and you give little, let me tell you something. God is inviting you into a lifestyle where you give generously. Not little, but a generous giver. I want to tell you a story. Um, about end of 2018, it was December, and uh, I was in Texas, and I was listening to a message by Patricia King. And uh, she, she was speaking on being a benefactor. And um, she began to prophesy that God was going to raise up benefactors in the room. And I knew that she was speaking to me. It was a room of maybe a thousand people. But I knew that message was for me. I went to bed that night. It was a Saturday night. The Lord woke me up in the middle of the night. And he said, Aaron, you've been saving money to build a, a dream house. I want you to take all that money. And I want you to create a nonprofit. And I want you to put that money in there. I woke up the next morning thinking it was the bad food. And uh, my friend Chris and I, we went to T.D. Jake's church, one of the best preachers ever, my hero in the faith. And uh, we went to the best service. There was 8,000 people there and eight white people. I was one of them and I felt like I was in the best church ever. I wanna go there every Sunday and it was incredible. And in the middle of his, of his message, he stopped. And I, I've been listening to this guy basically since I've been a teenager. And he said, God spoke to somebody in this room and he told you to do something that seems foolish and you're questioning it, whether it was the Lord. That was God and to stop doubting it and do what he said. I knew in that moment, first of all, I geeked out. I was like, Chris, T.D. Jakes just prophesied over me. But then I was like, oh crap, now I gotta do it. So I go home and I tell my wife and she's like, well, yeah, let's do it, no problem. She's the most generous person I know. And uh, so we took what seemed like a little, seemed like five loaves and two fish. We put it into a nonprofit and we had no purpose for it. We called it 33rd Company and it seemed like there was no reason. Then the Lord spoke to me and he said, now I want you to take that exact same amount of money that you put in there and every year I want you to put that same amount in there. It's like, well, God, we don't really have that amount, um, but I'll say yes. And so we said yes and every year we started putting money away with no purpose. 
We just said yes and we obeyed. And then towards the end of 2019, uh, we got in touch with a guy named David Papavisi in Iraq. And we began to hear what he wanted to do and realize that the reason he couldn't do it was because he didn't have money. And we were like, well, we got that. We got money, we just didn't know what to do with it. So we're like, well, now we can do something with it. So we gave him tens and tens of thousands of dollars to begin to do things in Iraq that he couldn't do. And then a couple months go by and we realize, well, this, this can actually do something. And, and we're like, Chris, we need to hire you full time. And so all of a sudden we hired Chris Donald full time to work for 33rd. And then we begin to hear that there's things going on in Pakistan. And we're like, well, well, we need to be a part of that. And so we started giving money to Pakistan to see God move there powerfully. And then we realized there's things going on in Japan. And all of a sudden, what started as a little five loaves and a two fish, what started as a little bit of flour and a little bit of olive oil, all of a sudden God kept pouring out and pouring out and pouring out. And what I thought meant nothing, God began to multiply because I planted it in his hand, not in mine. And all of a sudden we're seeing things shift in a nation like Iraq that would never have shifted if I said no in the moment because I wanted to build my dream home. And I would ask you, how many times has God asked you to say no to what you wanted to do, but rather you said, no, God, this is really important to me and I'll do it anyways. The reason why I was able to say no to building my dream house was because at age 16, I gave my clothes away. And then at age 18, I gave my car away. And a few years later, I helped somebody else buy a house when I wanted to buy one. And then when he asked me to give away all my money for house savings, I gave it all away. And then when he asked me to give away that much money every year, I gave away that because I said yes when it was close. And so I could say yes when it was thousands and thousands of dollars. For many of you, you're at the, you're at the close spot. And God's asking you, will you give me what you have? I know in your eyes it may not be much, but will you trust me? Because if you can't be faithful with a little, you'll never be faithful with much. And this morning, I believe that two things, we, I don't think we're gonna worship this morning, but I wanna pray for two things this morning. I wanna pray for those of you in this room who you have a generational curse of poverty on your life. And then I wanna pray for those in this room who feel called to live a life of radical generosity. Next week, we're gonna be taking our Kingdom Builders offering and every single one of you is gonna have the opportunity to give above the tithe. Now for my wife and I, we have been doing this offering every year and every year the Lord asks us to double it, which wouldn't have been bad if we started with $5 the first year, but we were dumb and we started larger than that. So now it's really painful. And every year we'll pray about it and I'll get a number that's always less than hers and hers will be double and mine will be less. And I'm like, fine, we'll do it again. But every time God honors it and I'm not exaggerating, I have seen my income double every year for five years in a row. And I can tell you so much of it comes back because every time that the Lord gives more, I give more. And I wanna pray for those of you in this room, first of all, who have a generational curse on your life of poverty. And you're gonna be intimidated to even respond to this because you're gonna feel it's a sign of weakness and it indicates that you're a failure and you have to get over that. 
And I want you to respond. And we're going to defeat this curse. We're going to break it in the name of Jesus this morning. And I believe that for some of you, you're going to finally be free from a destructive curse that's, that's hounded your family. So if there's anybody in this room and you're saying, I want to see poverty broken in my life, I want you to stand to your feet. We're going to pray over you. Anybody else? You want to see poverty broken in your life. It's been in your, uh, your parents' family. It's been in your grandparents' family. It's in your siblings' family. Today it's going to be broken. I don't... Nobody lay hands on them. Just if you're standing, close your eyes. We want to pray. I want to pray over you. In Jesus' name, Lord, first, Father, we, re we remove guilt. Lord, I ask for your healing, healing power to come in and touch every heart of every person standing. Lord, that they are not a failure, that they are not a loser. Lord, every lie that the devil has spoken over them for years, saying that it's always going to be this way, that they're just never going to succeed, they're never going to have enough, they're always going to be working that dead-end job year after year, they're always going to be in lack. Lord, we break that curse in Jesus' name. Lord, and we plead the blood of Jesus over their minds and over their hearts. God, that you would come and fill them with faith this morning. In Jesus' name. And right now, we plead the blood of Jesus over them and their families. And we break every generational curse of poverty in Jesus' name. Father, we break every generational curse of lack in Jesus' name. Every poverty mentality, every poverty thought, every poverty habit, we break it in Jesus' name. You are not in lack. You are not broken. You are not in poverty, but you are blessed in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for faith to arise in their hearts, that they are not going to be down and out, that they're not going to be a failure again, that they're not going to lose again. But Lord, I ask for faith and hope to arise in Jesus' name. We break this curse today in Jesus' name. Come on, say it with me. Say, I take authority over every generational curse in my family. I plead the blood of Jesus over my finances. And I surrender them to you. Father, I pray that heaven would come and touch my money. And that you would bless my family in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray for wisdom, Lord, on how to step forward. Lord, that for many of them, they've stayed inside of a failing boat for many years, a sinking boat, and they don't know what it's like to be in one that floats. Lord, I ask for strategy and wisdom, how to fill the gaps, how to begin to budget, how to begin to make money, how to begin to find a better job, how to begin to get in the right education, how to get the right sources of income. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name for wisdom and strategies and creativity. Lord, you've given them, uh, you've given them talents and giftings. You've given them abilities and attributes to advance the kingdom of God. You've given them the power to create wealth according to your word. So Lord, I ask that you would give them that wisdom and authority in Jesus' name today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. If you want to live a life of radical generosity, I want you to stand to your feet. And what I mean by radical generosity is you, like you want to be crazy. This, this is the church of the crazy ones. Come on, we, we give cars and we give clothes and we give savings and we, we give because he gave. 
I know it's cliche, you can't outgive God, but let me tell you from my experience, you can't. I have seen the blessing of God. And I know it starts with the little. It starts in the foolish. It starts with what feels stupid. It starts with like, but it's only five bucks. It starts with that. Like some of you are like, well, it means, what is my $20? What's my thousand bucks? What's what's that gonna do? It's your fish and your bread. It doesn't matter whether it can or can't feed five or 15,000, but put it in his hands and it can do wondrous things. So for those of you who are standing, I wanna pray over you. There's many of you in this room who I believe you've told the Lord no many times. He's asked you to give and you've said no. Today, even he's bringing back some of those things to mind of ways that you should have given and you're wondering, I don't know if I can do it. And you're teetering on whether to say yes or no. It's time to jump out of the boat, jump onto the water. I'd rather sink in the waters. I'd rather lose it all. I just don't want to say no. Don't say no. I'm telling you, don't say no. You close your eyes with me. Lord, I just sense your presence in the room. Lord, I sense you stirring people's hearts to begin to believe that they can actually say yes. Lord, I sense you speaking to people this morning that their life, that their gift, that their generosity actually matters. Lord, I pray for obedience in this room. I pray for a fierceness and a tenacity in this room for people to begin to believe that they can change a nation for people to begin to believe that they could change a neighborhood and a family and a city. Lord, I pray for crazy, radical generosity. For people that can actually believe that they could say yes and give something that makes no sense. God, and you're gonna return to them the true riches. Lord, I pray for faith to step out of comfort, to step out of reason, and Lord, to step into the supernatural. Lord, I pray for people who have not been tithing. God, that they would begin to tithe today. People have begun to believe a lie, who've allowed manipulation and church hurt to prevent them from walking in obedience. Lord, I ask that today that they would step into obedience and begin to honor you with 10%. Lord, I pray that next week, during our Kingdom Builders offering. Lord, that we would raise more money than we've ever raised before, that we would begin to say yes to the vision you've given us because the resources are available. And I pray for the people in this room, the people watching, the people who will listen during the week, Lord, who are hesitating. Some of you in this room are wondering, am I hearing God? Is it the Lord that is speaking to me right now? But yet you don't have a hard time hearing fear. It's really easy to hear fear. Did you know fear is a spirit? 
Fear is actually a demonic spirit. And just as easy as you can hear fear, you can hear the Holy Spirit. And right now the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. You must silence the voice of fear and you must listen to the Holy Spirit. I have nothing to gain by you being generous, but I will tell you what, by you saying no and resisting generosity in your life, you are capping blessing in your life. So Jesus, I ask right now for faith in this room. Faith to say yes. Faith, Father, to not resist any longer the the, the prodding of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I ask for crazy requests. Lord, ask and you will receive. Lord, ask what you would have for me. God, everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. You can have my house. Lord, it's yours. Just begin to tell him. Just say, God, everything I have is yours. Whatever you ask, Lord, I will give. Because, God, if all I have is you, that is enough. So, Lord, I pray that you raise up radically generous people. Raise us up, God. New business ideas. Lord, I pray for people to give away hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars, people who are questioning whether they should give large sums of money. Lord, I pray for the faith to say yes. Lord, hesitation be broken, fear be broken in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. We're going to close. You can come up, Nathaniel. Next week, church, is our Kingdom Builders offering. I want you to pray. And I want you to dream big. And when the Lord gives you a number, I want you to do it. And when your wife doubles it, trust that's the Lord. But next week when you give, you can give one time next week. Or we're also asking people to give on a monthly basis. There's some in this room who even come to me and be like, well, I want to give this amount. I don't have it, but I could give it over six months. Great. We're asking people to sign up on a monthly pledge to give into Kingdom Builders as well. But I want you to give it. The Bible, as I just said, it says those who give, it will be returned back to them. I'm telling you, when you step out in generosity and you walk in obedience with generosity, it becomes multiplication. And God's going to multiply something in this church in your lives that he can never do, that you can never do on your own. Amen. Amen.